Lord Jesus, we, we hang on to that hope. That is, that's the hope of the resurrection. That's the hope that we have within us. You have brought new life. You've paid the penalty for sin. You've given us new life. And, and the ladies, the women of the cross, have helped us to see that. Bring your promises to the front today. Bring the testimony of the women of the cross forward today as we, as we consider all that you have done for us. Lord, as your word, is, as your word is, is brought forth this morning, may your Holy Spirit empower us to, to see you clearly, to, to probe the depths of your truth in your word. May we be changed forever because of our contact with your word today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. Good things are happening around here. I wanted to mention we, we had a, a baptism class last week. And uh, if you're interested in baptism, we can still make that happen for you. Um, we would love to see you, if you've not been baptized, to do that. And uh, we're thinking about doing it on Easter Sunday. We're not quite sure yet, but... If you would like to do that, please let me know. Um, Dave and Cindy are back, and the, Arlene is here, I see, this morning, back from Africa. Probably sleep through the sermon this morning because of jet lag, I would guess. But uh, back, and we'll hear, we'll hear some testimony from them as well in the next few weeks as how the motorcycle giveaway went in Africa. Can't wait to hear about that. Uh, we're going to have a, a communion class during the Sunday school hour today. We'll meet in the foyer if you'd like, to, you'd like a little help in helping your children to know how to do communion, or if you have questions on, on communion, stop back there and, and we'll go through that together this morning. We're looking at the cross. We're looking at the difference that the cross makes. And I've been looking forward to this time this morning to talk about the women of the cross. We don't often stop by those characters, but I think um, the more I read the stories of the ladies who were at the cross, the ladies who followed Jesus, the more profound their testimony becomes to me. So this morning we're going to talk about the women of the cross. I asked, I told Sandy I was working on a sermon for concerning women, and I asked her if she had any advi advice for me, any input for me. And she thought about it for a moment, and she said, be very, very careful. <laughs> so I'll do my best, sweetheart. Let's see, I'll find out when I get home today how we did today. So, Dr. Luke, in his gospel, the, the gospel of Luke, ends his description of the crucifixion by, by observing this. He says this, And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. And I wonder if that observation of the story doesn't reflect our views of, of women in Scripture and in the Christian faith. That the women are somehow standing off in the distance with somehow a less significant role and place in the narrative of God's work in the world, in salvation. I remember a young couple that I was working with, and we were talking about marriage issues, and we were talking about biblical principles concerning marriage. In our conversation, I put forward a principle, and I, I won't go into what all that was, but I put forward a principle, a biblical principle regarding their relationship, 
and um, marriage. And you could see as, they, as, I, as I wheeled out this biblical principle that they were struggling with what, with what the Bible says and what the culture says. The tension between those two things was clear on their face. They were, they were struggling. They hadn't heard this biblical principle before, and they'd been going by the cultural wisdom of the day. And you could see the tension on their face between those two things. And finally, after a little bit of a pause, a little bit of a silence, the young lady looked at me and she said, so are you referring to the Old Testament view that, that women are property and chattel? I didn't know what to say. The question that she put forward had nothing to do with our conversation, but it, but it reflected a, a modern, a, a distorted view concerning the role, the value, and the identity of women in Scripture. And it broke my heart to, to just hear the question. I knew the question came from a, an ignorance of Scripture, a naivete of Scripture, but it, it still broke my heart that this false notion was integrated into her perception of what Scripture says about women. Broke my heart. Now, Jesus would take a question like that, would take a response like that, and he would turn it around and he would remind us of what God's perfect design is in creation. He did this in Matthew 19 concerning the, the question of divorce. He said, have you not heard? This is the way God designed it. This is the way it was in the beginning. And that's always our reference point, to go back to Genesis 1 and 2, before the fall, before sin entered the world, and ask ourselves, what did God design it to be? What is God's intention? What is God's perfection? What's his plan? So if we look at creation, if we go back to Genesis 1 and 2 with this question in mind, we, we see a, a beautiful scene of woman. She's not made from dust. Man was made from dust. In fact, she was created from Adam's rib. She was removed from the dust. She was never intended to be anything less than a perfect companion for Adam. When Adam saw her for the first time, his eyes bugged out of his head and his heart burst with joy at the gift that God was giving him in this beautiful, beautiful woman. And beyond the beauty, she, she wasn't just something to look at, although she was perfection, but she was a perfect companion for him. Bone of my bones. Perfect for Adam. You see, if you go back to Genesis 1 and 2, there's nothing about property, but there's everything about being a helper, a lover, a lifelong companion to live and enjoy life together. She would complete him, and, and he would love her and protect her. So you look at the Old Testament, and you see things like, you see, you see scenes and people like, like Sarah walking with Abraham in the promises that God had given to them. We see Miriam standing alongside the river, watching the basket go down the river as her, her, her brother, who she had just placed in the basket, was floating along and realizing that one day her brother would save her people. We think of the beauty of Rachel. We think of the faith of Hannah, the wisdom of Abigail, the leadership of Deborah, and the courage of Esther. So when we try to weave our way through the role and identity of women in Scripture, there's one thing that, there's one principle that is sure and true. 
Listen to this. The more God is honored, the more his word is obeyed, the richer and fuller the life and testimony of women. Did you get that? Let me read it one more time. The more God is honored, the more his word is obeyed, the richer and fuller the life and testimony of women. When God is in his proper place through faith and worship, the more freedom, the more individuality, and the more blessing marks the lives of women in Scripture. The inverse is also true. The more pagan practices invade the culture, and the more the heathen ideas infiltrate the thoughts of believers, then the more bondage, the more confusion, and the more abuse marks the lives of women. It's true throughout Scripture, and it's true today. It's true today. Now, when Jesus came on the scene, he respected and cherished the women around him, beginning with his mother and on throughout the, the lives of others. We, we see the true fullness and dignity that comes from walking closely with Jesus. Names like Elizabeth, Anna, Mary Magdalene, who was cured of seven demons, Joanna, the mother of John Mark, whose, whose home became the center of, of activity for the first church. Salome, the mother of James and John, the woman at the well who found new life in Jesus, Lydia, who opened her home to the Apostle Paul, Priscilla, who was a teacher and a discipler, along with her husband in partnership with the Apostle Paul. Then there's the mother and the, and the grandmother of Timothy. They grounded this young man in the scriptures so that he could go on and be a, an understudy of the Apostle Paul and a pastor in very difficult churches. You see, too often our perception is that the women of scripture are standing off in the distance, unrelated to the narrative in the work. And yet they are essential to the work of the gospel. Their testimonies are marked by faith, by perseverance, by commitment, and a profound love for Jesus. Today we come to three stories. I wish we had time for more. Three stories that will forever change your view of the women in the life of Jesus. Their lives were devastated at the death of Jesus. Hope for them was badly shaken. But as we'll learn, the cross of Christ changed their lives forever, so much so that after 2,000 years, we're still talking about them. We're still talking about their testimony. So, my prayer is this morning that we will be able to draw from their faith, from their lives, from their testimonies for our own walk in Jesus Christ. So let's look. Let's look at the three women of the cross. I'm going to read from John chapter 19 this morning. But before we do that, before we get to their specific testimonies, I'd like to stop off at Mark's gospel for a little bit of background. So keep your finger in John 19. Go back to the Gospel of Mark and just be ready because we're going we're gonna to do a lot of flipping around today. 
Mark chapter 15. Verse 40 says this, There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger, and, and Joseph, and Salome. When he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him. And there were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. So what do we learn from, from this narrative? There were many women who followed Jesus. We don't, we don't often consider that, but there were many women who followed Jesus. They were also disciples of Jesus, and they followed him. They ministered to him. They supported him. They managed arrangements for him. They saw to, to the needs of the ministry, and they saw to the needs of Jesus. They were in Galilee with him. There were a lot of them. Did I say that already? They came up to Jerusalem with Jesus, and they were with him all during Holy Week. Some were at the scene of the crucifixion. And of note, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and Salome. Just to, just to get your head around it, we, uh, I, I put a map up on the screen for you this morning, and uh, Galilee is up at the top of the arrow. That's the region that they were in. And uh, they walked, they traveled with Jesus all the way down to Jerusalem. And I brought out the area of Galilee a little bit. And if you, I don't know if you can see it or not, but right in the center of the, the image there, it says Magdala. And that's where, guess who was from Magdala? Any ideas? Mary Magdalene. There you go. Okay. So we visited that town when we were in Israel, saw the ruins of it. So let's, let's go on. John chapter 19. This will get us into the story a little bit. <clears throat> get us into the context of the cross and the crucifixion and the tomb scenes. John chapter 19. So I'll start at verse 25. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his home. Turn over to chapter 20, verses 1 and 2. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have laid him. And then go down to verse 10. <clears throat> then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she didn't know that it was him. 
Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Amen. Now, there, our first character here is, is Salome. There's plenty of suggestions as to who Salome is and what her genealogy should be. The one thing we know is that she's the wife of Zebedee. Her husband had a fishing business in the city of Capernaum, which we saw on the map just a moment ago, by the Sea of Galilee. The only time we see Zebedee is when he's tending his nets when his boys were being called by Jesus to follow after him. Now, the fact that Zebedee and his wife Salome didn't argue with the decision of their son tells us that they were God-fearing parents, God-fearing people. They too had been listening to Jesus. They too had been exposed to his teaching in their village and in the surrounding area as he went from village to village. So when, when Jesus called their sons and Zebedee was standing right there, he didn't argue. The boys dropped everything and they left. And I'm assuming that Salome was, was in that picture somewhere as well. Not only did, did her two sons become apostles of Jesus Christ, but she also became one of the followers of Jesus from that time in Capernaum in her village. It was this devotion brought about by a home and a marriage that was dedicated to serving the Lord that gave her sons the wisdom to know God's call and the courage to follow. You might also know Salome from another scene with Jesus in Matthew chapter 20. Turn with me over there if you would, Matthew chapter 20. You'll remember this scene. In this, in this situation, she's referred to as the mother of the sons of Zebedee. This is Salome. Let me read starting at verse 20. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked for something. And he said to her, what do you want? And she said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left, in your kingdom. And Jesus answered, are you crazy? No, he didn't. Jesus answered with this, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm to drink? And they said to him, we are able. And he said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it's for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. And then Matthew goes on to tell how the others became indignant at this, this scene, this questioning. 
I always used to laugh at this story because I thought, well, you guys are really something. You know, you send your mom in to do your bidding for you. You couldn't ask Jesus yourself. You sent your mom in for you. But you know, that's, that might be a funny way to look at it, but I don't think that's what's happening here. I think the fact that she could approach Jesus with such a bold question tells us she was in an intimate relationship with him. She was a follower of Jesus Christ. And she believed that her relationship was such that she had the, she had the, the opening, the permission to go and speak to Jesus in this way. You'll also notice that he didn't say, are you crazy? He didn't admonish her. He didn't, he didn't holler at her, as we would say today. Instead, he said, do you know what you're asking? Are you willing to drink the cup that I'm going to drink? Instead, he turned it around as a teaching moment. And, and from that moment, from that teaching time, Salome would learn that the, the glory and honor in the kingdom of Jesus doesn't come through position or title. It comes through servanthood. It comes from sacrifice. And it comes from suffering. And she would learn that from that situation. And indeed, she would actually pay that price. You see, not only did she give her two sons to Christ's call, not only did she give her two sons to the mission of Jesus and to following after him, but both of her sons would give their lives for the sake of the gospel. Both of their sons would be martyred for Jesus. Salome got up close and personal with this lesson. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 27. Start at verse 55. There were also many women there, referring to the crucifixion, looking on from a distance, who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. That's Salome. Salome was there at the crucifixion. Matthew tells us that she looked on from a distance, taking in the full horror of the day. Most of the disciples had abandoned Jesus except for her son, John, whom he loved, and the company of women. You understand that? The disciples fled for their lives, but the women stood their ground. You see, we see the weight of the cross on a spirit, on a person in the life of Salome. Here's a woman who is wholly devoted to Jesus Christ, who has given her life, is given of her resources, who has given of her sons to the cause. She herself had followed Jesus. She had ministered to him and with him. She heard the news, she heard the teaching of the kingdom of God that was about to come. And she anticipated that coming of the kingdom through Jesus Christ and that he would set his people free. She gave everything to the Messiah. She gave everything to this message. 
She gave everything for this hope. And it all came crashing down as her Lord suffered his last hours and died. Turn with me, if you would, to Mary Magdalene. Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. The more I, I read about the women of the cross, the more I realize Mary Magdalene is, is a central figure in all of this. Luke chapter 8, start at verse 1. Soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's household manager, and Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. And here again, we, we gain insight into the ladies who were part of the entourage of Jesus. Of note, there's, there's three ladies mentioned here, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, I wish we could talk about Joanna, Susanna, we learn that Mary Magdalene was healed of seven demons. We don't know the variety of demons. We don't know exactly what her circumstances were, but we know that she was healed of seven demons. Now, Mary Magdalene is unfortunately pegged with this, with this reputation of being a prostitute, of being a woman of ill repute. But let me clarify today. Mary Magdalene was cured of seven demons and is not the prostitute that she's been labeled as. It's not the woman of the evening that she's been labeled as. That reputation was foisted on her later in church history. It doesn't come from, from Scripture. And it didn't help that the village that she was in, Magdala, I, I understand, was, was destroyed because of its immorality. Her name appears 14 times in the Gospels. In many of those instances, she heads the list of the other women. It seems that she's preeminent in her faithfulness to Jesus Christ. She's mentioned five times in the crucifixion narrative. It seems that she too was standing nearby the cross on that terrible day. We don't know the nature of the demons that she had, but somehow they controlled her life. And seven seems to be a, seven is a complete number in scripture, so somehow the idea is that seven demons means that she was completely consumed by the demons. They had likely seized control of her mind and her body. And if, if you really want to see a picture of Mary Magdalene, just imagine a very, very bad hair day. Imagine hair everywhere, unkept. Imagine a, a, day, a, a day when she just looks like she came out of a back alley someplace with wild eyes drawn-out, long face, a face that was overcome with fear and chaos and trembling and possibly even fits or seizures. So when she met Christ, he cast out the demons and he liberated her so that she could follow after him. He literally saved her from the abyss of hell and he set her free in every aspect of her life. 
So it was out of gratitude. It was out of praise for Jesus Christ. It was, it was, out, of, it was out of awe for his power that she turned and she followed after him. He had set her free, not just from the pit of hell, but he had set her free to live for him, to live in generosity, to live in service, to live out, in, live out her life in courage as she followed after him. So Mary left her home and she followed Jesus. Now a life of travel and ministering from village to village meant lots of details for provision, for food, for housing, etc., etc. For the whole group that was following after Jesus, we don't think about this very much. But if, according to Scripture, Mary and the other women quietly worked behind the scenes to meet these needs. It's likely that Mary came from a wealthy town like Magdala, and it's likely that she had means herself. Matthew tells us that she and the other women provided a good percentage of the financial resources that the disciples required in the ministry. We also learn that Mary Magdalene followed Jesus to Israel or to Jerusalem. From, from Galilee up in the north part of the country all the way down to Jerusalem, she followed him. She went with him. And she was there. She was there for the mock trial of Jesus. She was there when they spit on him, when they verbally abused him, when they physically abused him. She was there. She was there when he walked the Via Della Rosa down to Golgotha. She was nearby when they hung Jesus on the cross. She was there when they took his lifeless body down from the cross. It said of her that she was the last at the cross and she was first at the grave. And I think about Mary Magdalene and all that she had, she had seen and done and all that she had been rescued from and all the ways that she had poured her life into the ministry of Jesus Christ and in the depths of the relationship that she must have had with him. And how she must have wept when they despised him when they beat him, when they laid his flesh open. What confusion must have seized upon her as she saw Jesus suffering on the cross and yet at the same time calling out to his father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. She saw him call out to John and say, behold your son and behold your mother. She saw, she saw him take care of his mother in those last moments of his life. And she saw him finally yield his life, crying out, it is finished. You see, when I look at the life of Mary Magdalene, I see a woman who was a picture of devotion and faithfulness to Jesus Christ. How dark that day must have been for her when they crucified her Lord. Mary. Mother of Jesus. So where do we begin with Mary? Here's a humble peasant girl, somehow chosen by God to bear a child, the very son of God, and she was chosen to bring the gift of the Messiah to the waiting world. This is the girl who stood before the mighty angel Gabriel and calmly received the instruction of the Lord. How many of us could do that? And she only asked him how this amazing and unbelievable thing would be done. No doubt, no challenge to her faith. She simply took it in. And Mary said in that moment, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me as you have said. What an amazing girl. 
it would soon, it would be Mary, this young, young girl who would soon take a, a humble carpenter as a husband, and together they would travel to Bethlehem and be part of one of the greatest scenes in all of history, the birth and incarnation of Jesus Christ the King. We are told simply, as the scene unfolds of the manger and, the, and all of the people coming to worship him, we're simply told that Mary, in all of her humility, just sat off to the side and pondered these things in her heart. Later, she would take him to the, to the temple, and Simeon, the prophet, would prophesy to Mary that a sword would pierce her heart, that this child would bring her much pain and sorrow. Then as we move through the childhood of Jesus, we don't know much about the childhood of Jesus and what their home was like. The scripture just doesn't tell us that. We do understand that she probably lost her husband, Joseph, early on, and, and she was likely raising these Jesus and his siblings all by herself. And then we remember the story how Jesus was 12 years old and they took him to the temple. They went up to the temple to worship, went up for one of the celebrations, one of the festivals, and, 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 they, and then they left town. You remember the story, right? They left town. They, they were traveling for three days. And all of a sudden, Mary and Joseph look around and say, is Jesus with you? No, he's not. And now panic sets in and they, they quickly go back to Jerusalem and they look everywhere for Jesus. They can't find him. He's not with his relatives anywhere. He's not, he's not anywhere. Until finally they go back into the temple and there's their son, Jesus. And of course, what are you doing here? We're worried about you. What was Jesus' answer back to his mother? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? You see, one of the things we need to understand about Mary is that, is that from early on, from, from, from that, that point forward, when Jesus said, didn't you know I needed to be in my father's house, there were continual reminders that, she, that he did not belong to her, but that she belonged to him. And all through her life and all through the stories of Jesus, and we go on to, the, to John chapter 4 and the, and the um, I'm sorry, the... the uh, not John chapter 4, but the story of the wedding in Cana. Remember that? And they ran out of wine, and, and Mary comes to her son Jesus, and the disciples are all there, and, and, and says, they've run out of wine. Do something. What did he say to her? He didn't say mom. He said woman. It wasn't a term of disrespect. He said Woman. What does this have to do with me? You see, once again, and I think definitively, Jesus severed the tie of mother and son. And he assumed the full role of the Messiah, the sent one, as he began his ministry. And that was part of the learning and part of the lesson that, 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 that Mary had to learn. She needed to learn that she belonged to him. And along with the other ladies, Jesus found herself in Jerusalem in the midst of what it must have been the worst of nightmares for a mother. It certainly was the worst of nightmares for a follower of Christ, but, but she stands alone as his mother. And she saw it all. 
And I wonder if the words of Simeon didn't just come racing back over her, her mind and her heart that week about a sword piercing her own soul and the thoughts of others being revealed and laid bare. What life, what it must have been like for Mary to see all of her life ebb away as her son and her Lord died such a horrible death on that cross. Some among us know what it means to lose a child. As I say often, I don't ever want to go to that school. So most of us have no idea of the profound grief and the breathlessness that comes with losing a child. The loss of hope. And the sense of loss that Mary must have experienced that day. Many of us cannot comprehend it. So there's the hope of the empty tomb. So we don't see Mary again until Acts chapter 1. I assume the disciples all took her in. John leading the way. John is now responsible for her. They took her in. They brought her into the upper room, and they were all waiting. They were all trying to decide what in the world is happening here. In the meantime, they've seen the risen Savior and now in Acts chapter 1, they're, they're waiting with a sense of expect, expectancy. And there's Mary, the mother of Jesus, in the midst of them. That's the last time we see her. Um, just a side note, there's no basis for the way the Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church have venerated Mary. If she's to be venerated as, as, as we are told, then she, wouldn't she be part of Scripture? When she'd be going on into the early church, and she's not. She's not. That's just an aside. And then there's Salome. She went with Mary Magdalene to the tomb. She saw the empty tomb, and, and she heard the message of the resurrection as the angel spoke it but, it, but for her it was too much to take in. Matthew chapter 16, verse 8 tells us that, that she and the others who were with them they fled in terror, and they were, they were told to tell the disciples that Jesus had, ridden, had ridden from, risen from the dead, but they were so frightened about all that happened that, and all that the angel had told them to do that they, they ran away and they forgot to go tell the disciples. Mark tells us out of fear and terror, they didn't say a word. So overwhelming was this news of the resurrection. But let us not judge. I don't know if any of us could do any better. So incredible was this word, this message, this news. It shouldn't surprise us that Mary Magdalene led the way to the empty tomb, and she led the way with the news of the resurrection. John 20, verse 11 tells us that she stood at the tomb weeping, even after the angel said that he was gone. She stood at the tomb weeping, trying to understand all that had happened. And I love the story as we read it in John chapter 20. This guy walks up to her. She thinks it's the gardener. Well, who are you looking for? What, what's going on? What's, what's the problem? She, she lays out her story. She lays out her fear to this gardener, this guy walking through the garden. And then it occurs to her, what, maybe did you move her? 
Did you move him? No. I don't, I don't think any of us can imagine what happened next. I don't think any of us can imagine what it was like for Mary Magdalene, lost in confusion, hope is ebbing away, to hear her simply hear her name simply stated. Mary. Mary. We've all seen pictures of soldiers coming home and, and surprising kids and surprising spouses and I don't know about you, but every time I see one of those stories on the news or wherever, if I see a video of the, 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 the soldier coming home from a long deployment and, and kids and families seeing that person for the first time, you, you just can't help but well up in tears at the joy that they must have felt. And I think you need to multiply that by 100. When, when Mary heard her name whispered by her Lord and Savior, I don't think any of us can imagine what it was like with just the word of her name to reach down into the depths of her soul and her spirit and grab a hold of the love that she had for Jesus. And everything that she is and was in that moment came flooding to the surface as Jesus simply said, Mary. It's an amazing story. So this morning, I think we need to bring these ladies out from the shadows we can't let them stand on the edges of the story. We need to hear their stories. We need to, we need to search their hearts, and we, we need to let their testimonies penetrate our lives. So what of it? These women, all of them, in, in each of their own story, had encountered the living Christ. I think it was seen especially in the life of Mary Magdalene. She was, she was a, she's a picture of the power of Jesus to redeem to save, to restore. And I think one of the things that we can take away from the testimonies of the ladies today is that we can see what Christ can do. We can see that Christ can move in and he can even, he can, he can even evacuate your heart, your life, your mind from the demons that so entrap us. What is it that, that binds us, that holds us in slavery and bondage? What is it that grips our life and doesn't allow us to walk in the fullness of Jesus Jesus can take it away. One of the things we learn is that what Jesus can do in these lives, absolute transformation. Salome dropped everything that she was doing so that she could follow Jesus just like her sons did. What can Christ do? We see the power of salvation. We see the power of Jesus in their lives. And then you turn that around and I look at these ladies and I think, well, we can see what they can do for Christ when they are in Christ. You see, they gave all of their lives to follow after him. They gave everything. They are a picture of the sacrifice, of servanthood. They're a picture of faith. Everything that Jesus Christ invests in us and calls out in us. They, like the apostles, they dropped everything to follow Jesus. They are an example of what one person can do when they heed the call of Jesus, when they heed the name of Jesus, when they say, yes, Lord, I'll go, yes, Lord, I'll follow, and amazing things will happen when we say yes to Jesus, what we can do in Christ. And finally, 
They were not exempt from difficulty. They weren't exempt from confusion and even despair and hopelessness as they followed Christ. We're simply naive if we think that following Christ means a bed of roses and means that everything's going to be wonderful. Difficult days will come, and they show us that. And it wasn't until they saw the resurrected Christ, they understood the power of the resurrection, they understood what it meant that Christ had defeated death, that they realized his power of resurrection in their own life. It was in that moment, and I don't know what that moment was for each of them, if it was at the tomb, it was when, when Mary Magdalene announced to the disciples, he is risen! I don't know when that moment was for each of them, but somewhere, somewhere along the road, that moment came when they realized, wait a minute, he rose from the dead. He defeated death. He excised demons from my life. He did this, 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 and this. I saw him say, I saw him do this. I heard him say that. And I believe in that moment when the resurrection becomes real, when the empty tomb becomes a, a vivid image in our head, that everything comes together. That my life before Christ all of a sudden begins to make sense. My life now coming to know Jesus all of a sudden just makes a per perfect trajectory in my life. And my life looking forward, I understand that I'm going to be led by Jesus, that Jesus is going to walk with me. That Jesus said he would never leave me or forsake me, and I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You see, for the ladies and for us, brothers and sisters, when we understand the power of the resurrection, when we understand what Jesus did on the cross for us, it all comes into focus, and we can see clearly. And I think that's good news today. And ladies, I want you to know, it's not even Mother's Day. How about that? I want you to know that in the name of Jesus Christ, you are a beloved daughter of Jesus. You are loved by him. You are precious to the Lord Jesus Christ. You have value. You have worth. You do not stand at the edges. You do not stand off at a distance. The power of Jesus is seen in your life. We need your persistence. We need your passionate love for Jesus. We need your stories. We need you in our lives. And the ladies at the cross tell us that. And I praise the Lord for their testimony. Amen. Lord Jesus, the, the, the story of the cross and the story of the, the resurrection, is, there is no end to it. It just, it just becomes more and more profound to us. Thank you for the women who followed after you who show us what it means to live as disciples for you. And there are more stories. There are more amazing stories of the women who followed after you, and we praise you for them. Lord Jesus, I pray that as we go out in this week, as we look ahead to the days, the, the week ahead, and as we prepare our hearts for Easter, Lord Jesus, may your story be highlighted in our lives as well. May we come to see the resurrection for all that, that it means to us your power, your grace, your love for us, your pursuit of us. May it all come pouring into our lives and our thoughts. And may we walk in that knowledge, in your power, in such a way that other people see it and are attracted to you. May our lives bring you glory. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. On your way rejoicing.